Father, I pray for this nation. This nation, Lord, that's filled with people, uh, those that are of different faiths, those that are rejectors of God. And many of us, Lord, that know you and love you and have a desire, Lord, to see you work in our nation. We pray, Lord, that you would turn, first of all, the hearts of people to you. We believe, God, that you do that work. I pray for revival in our nation. I pray for churches to be revived, that they would turn back to teaching uh, Bible books, verse by verse, and working their way through the Bible, and not just theme teaching or, or teaching in a way that, that is uh, popular, Lord, but, but turn our pastors, Lord, and churches back to, to the Bible. Revive our hearts, Lord, as we look to your word, Lord, and in this upcoming election, I pray that you would lead and guide us. Help us, Lord, to vote in a responsible way, in a biblical way, as believers all throughout our nation, I pray. And I know there's many other pastors that are praying that same thing. I pray, Lord, that you would cause your people who are called by your great name to humble themselves and to pray. And then do our civic duty and responsibility. I just really pray, Lord, for that in a humble way. And Lord, that we would be humble people that we would look to you for guidance and that we'd ask for your, your help. Father, we ask that you would place godly men and godly women into these important positions of authority so that your people can rejoice, Lord. We groan and we complain. I, I just pray that we could rejoice. I, I know there are candidates in my mind right now that are believers, and I pray for them, men and women, Lord, we just ask that you would just, just put before us godly men and, and godly women. And we ask, Lord, that elected leaders would be just and that they would fear God rather than men, that they would stand apart from money and power and, and fear you, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, that the citizens the, in our communities would vote, that they would vote honestly and they would vote with wisdom and discretion. Lord, help them to vote in that way. And Father, I pray that you would give us leaders that we so desperately need and not the ones that we deserve for our many great sins, Lord. Lord, may your grace abound in the life of this nation. May you work in our hearts, Lord, as we go to the voting booth and carry out our civic responsibility. Lord, give us a heart to vote in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name, we pray together. And all God's people said, amen. Let's continue as a people to pray. Pray for our nation and pray for these elections. Very important time. Let's open our Bibles now to Genesis chapter 13. We've been studying the book of Genesis all year. Uh, we've studied the first 11 chapters, the, the beginning, the beginning of the world, the, begin, the first man, the first woman, the first sin, the first kids, the, the beginnings. It's all about the beginnings. And now we come to this chapter 13 in our study through uh, this wonderful book of beginnings, Genesis. And we come to the man Abraham, or Abram as his name is in this text. Abraham is the father of of the Jews. He's the father of the Jewish nation. His name means father of a multitude, or Abraham means father of a multitude. And right now he's Abram. 
father of height. Who knows if he was tall? Maybe he was. But God is going to change his name as we move through. We get to Genesis chapter 17, and God's going to change his name to father of many nations. And when God gives him that name, he's a man that has no children. One of the reasons he brings Sarah back from Egypt with him, one of the reasons why he keeps Sarah close, because he knows this promise that God's given him that I'm going to make you a father of many people. And he doesn't have any kids yet. And so um, he's living on this promise of God. He's, he's the man that we look to as Christians as a man of faith. And we look at his life and all that he did, and he becomes this great example to us as a man of faith. But here in his, his early experience with God, he's an older man, he's 75, but, but he, he, he's, he's a new believer. He's just learning how to exercise faith and walk by faith of the Lord. He's stumbling, falling. He's making mistake after mistake here in our text. But he is going to get one of the greatest names that the New Testament would give, I believe. And here's the scripture, James 2, 23. The scripture calls him, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He was called, here's his name, the friend of God. Wouldn't you love to have that name? Do you want to be a friend of God? He's known as the friend of God. But before he gets there, this great man of faith or becomes this, has this title of, of friend of God. Before he gets there, God is going to take him through one crisis and difficulty after another. All to prove to him and to teach him that he has to trust the Lord. Now, how many of us here wouldn't say that God has brought us to some really difficult things? That God has brought us to a crisis in our life. And what that's done is made us go back to the Lord and hold tightly to him. And, and our faith then has increased so that we can continue this walk of faith in the life that we, we lead. Isn't that true? And so it's Abram that becomes our example. Abram, the study of him. So tonight's study isn't mo mostly history like much of Genesis has been. It's really about this man, and there's a lot of application that we can make in our own life by looking at him. So it's, I really have a brief study tonight. We're only going to look at a few verses, but I think it's really important because God has chosen this old idolatrous man. He's chosen him sovereignly, and Abram is learning to walk a new life of faith. So here we are in this 13th chapter of Genesis. We find Abram, and I've entitled this, this section, On the Road Back to Canaan. As you recall, when we met Abram back in chapter 11, he was the son of his father, Terah, who was an idol worshiper. And they lived in Ur of the Chaldees. I have this map again. I like to show maps. So here's this map. This shows the Fertile Crescent. You're familiar with that if you took any world history as a junior, senior high school student. Maybe in college you learned about the Fertile Crescent. This is the birthplace of man. I mean, truly, we believe it is as, as Christians. But uh, um, archaeologists and uh, who are the guys that study men? Uh, not yeah, anthropologists. Anthropologists. They're the ones that study. And this is called the Fertile Crescent because you can see the down in the Persian Gulf, these rivers, Tigris and Euphrates rivers. This is a valley that's very fertile, very fruitful. And so the people didn't live in the desert. They lived, obviously, in the Fertile Crescent. Many, many people. But you can go back and, and look at history, even secular history books, and you'll find 
3,500 years ago, these people, ancient peoples, they lived here in this area. You'll notice way down in the bottom, and I, I don't, didn't bring my pointer, but here is this place called Ur, Ur of the Chaldees, and that's where Abram and Terah and his family are from. And they go from there to Haran, which is way up north, follow that green way up there. It's, it's way up in this Mesopotamian area, way up high there along the river. There's a place called Haran, and that's where he was until his father died. And after his father died, Terah died, then that's when Abram separated himself from the idolatrous people of the Chaldees and went to a place where he didn't even know. It was Canaan. And he gets to Canaan. He goes to, to Canaan there. And uh, he encounters people, the people of Canaan, who were very idolatrous. And he encounters a famine. And we've learned that. We've looked at that. But very interesting, again, this whole background to this man. And God sovereignly choosing him. And from him, from him, he, he comes from Noah's children. Remember, he had three children. Noah gets off the ark, had three kids. Remember, he had... Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem, Shem is the, the righteous offspring of Noah. Sh, the Semite people, the Jewish people. Shem, we get all these people, Terah, and finally Abram. Abram comes from Shem. And from this man, God is going to raise up a nation of people separate to himself called the Jews, the Semites. And that's why it's important to study Abraham. That's why the Jews see him as the father of their nation. That's how we see him as the father of our faith. So he's a very important person to study in the Bible as well. But although Abraham or Abram was called by God, he doesn't always obey God. That's what we're learning here. He's new. He's taking baby steps. And, and now we're learning that he makes some bad choices or bad decisions. He isn't trusting the Lord. And again, that really parallels our life as well. So God has taken Abram th through one crisis after another. He's trying to teach him. He's, he's encouraging him. He's, he's bringing him to a place where, where Abram will begin to trust God more and more as he goes through these difficult times. Real life happens not only to Abram, but to you and to me. And when Abram gets to Canaan, trusting the Lord. Like I said, there's, there's people, these idolatrous people, Canaanites, and there's this famine in the land. So instead of trusting the Lord and staying in Canaan and saying, you know, the Lord sent me here, I'm going to do this. I'm just going to stay here. He hears that there's water down in, in Egypt, that there's this real fertile place. I can take all my herds and my people. I'm just going to go down to Egypt. I'm going to not trust God. I'm going to turn my back on God. I'm going to go down to Egypt. His first mistake and his ongoing crises that bring him to faith in the Lord. So that's where we find him right now. When he gets to Egypt, as you recall, he lies to the Pharaoh. He lies to the Pharaoh's people that are looking for wives for Pharaoh. Uh, kind of a good thing to do when you have the Pharaoh. He's in charge. He could cut your throat. Hey, Pharaoh, there's a really beautiful woman here that you probably should take into your harem. Oh, really? What's your name? Oh, okay, well, you're a good guy, you know, bringing me these beautiful women. And so all the people, it says in the land, saw Sarai as a beautiful woman, and, and so they take her into the harem of Pharaoh. But this is Abram's wife, 
which is a very interesting thing. He's, he's failing these tests of faith. He's not trusting the Lord. He's failing over and over. He even lies. It's a kind of a half lie. He says, oh, she's just my sister. Is this your wife? No, no, she's my sister. Well, that was a, a lie. You're really a half-sister, but, but it's still a lie. And so he's lying and failing and doing all of these things. And finally, the Pharaoh finds out, and he publicly humiliates this man of faith, Abram. And he sends him back, kicks him out of Egypt, really, him and his whole family. That's really what our text is all about. But if you look back at chapter 12, verse 20, Notice with me that last verse in chapter 12. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning Abram, and they sent him away. They kicked him out with his wife and all of his goods, all the, the uh, animals that he had, all the f- money that he had made. And here's the application that we get from this first part of, of Abram's story, that leaving Canaan for Egypt was his attempt, really, to, to shortcut God's work or testing in his life. He, he shortcutted it all. He said, no, I can't take the test. I, I don't really want to do that, God. I know you want me to do that. I, I see it in the word clearly written, but, but I, I think I can make a better decision for myself. How many times have you done that, and how well has that worked out for you? I mean, think about that. I don't, I don't want to watch when somebody says, you know, I, I just want to do my own thing. I don't want to listen to God anymore. It's like, oh, Lord, they're in for it. Whom God loves, he also chastens, the Hebrew writer says. God loves you, and he's going to treat you like his child. He's going to discipline you and lead you back. So Abram fails this first test. He shortcuts this test, and he goes down into Egypt where he's not supposed to be. And then God gracefully and wonderfully intervenes. God intervenes in his life, and he spares him and his family. I mean, Pharaoh could have killed him, but God spares him, and he spares Sarai, and all of his goods, and Abram is humiliated by his sin. Secondly, regardless of of our sin, God is gracious. That's what we see in the story and in the life of Abraham. God is gracious, and he treats Abram in his disobedience with grace. Aren't you glad that God's gracious? Aren't you glad that God is merciful? I, I, I am. I am so thankful that God is gracious and merciful to us. Because we know that because when he leaves, we're going to find this evening when we finally get to the text here, when he leaves Egypt, he's a very, 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 you know, uh, rich and wealthy Bill Gates kind of man. He's a billionaire in a sense. He's a very, very wealthy man when he leaves. So as you read this story, you can identify yourself with Abram because sometimes you've sidestepped around God's path for you thinking that I'm just going to make this decision and it's better for me, better than what God wants me to do. I haven't really prayed a lot about it. I'm just going to launch off and do this on my own. And, and that's what Abe did. That's, we can parallel our lives as well with that. But in spite of his sin, God blessed him in Egypt again. And I love this, I, this proverb. I, I, I got to show you this proverb. Proverbs 13, verse 15. Notice this. Good understanding gains favor, but the way of the unfaithful is hard. God will bring hardship to those who, who go in their own way. They go their own way. We need to follow the Lord and obey the Lord. So life's tough. God gives us do-overs. 
we're going to see a do-over in, in Abraham's life here. Very interesting. And it begins right here in verse 1 of chapter 13. This is where we find Abram. Notice what it says as he goes on the road back to Canaan. Then Abram went up from Egypt, chapter 13, verse 1. He and his wife and all that he had and his great nephew Lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now, that's our text tonight. And I didn't go any further because next week I want to look at this, this division, this problem that, that arises between Lot and Abram and their herdsmen, and you, you know the story. But I want, really want to focus on this because, again, Bible study is not just for head knowledge, it's for transformation. And if we're going to be transformed closer to the image of Jesus Christ, we need to, we need to see these great characters in the Bible and how God dealt with them and how they did what they did. And then we can learn from them as well. So Abram got it all wrong here. He goes to Egypt, but the first thing he does on the way back to, to uh, Canaan here, on the road back to Canaan, this is what he does. So these are the good steps. This is what you should do. If you find yourself in a place of uh, uh, you've abandoned God and you've tried it your own way and it's failed, this is what you should do. Number one, he separates himself from Egypt. So he's going to separate himself here. Notice again in verse 1, then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that they had. So Abram separated himself from Egypt. Separation is always a good thing. From, from the old ways, from sin, from disobedience. Separation is always a good thing, and God requires separation in our life. Wouldn't you agree? Have you ever, um, as a Christian, have you done something, and it's like, oh, I know it's, it's not the right thing to do, but, but I, I, you kind of half lie to yourself, well, I, I really need this, and so I'm going to do this, and, and then it, it's a disaster, and then you realize it's wrong, and what God requires immediately is that you separate yourself from that. Make a decision, turn away from it. We use the word repentance, we turn away. We, that's what God requires, separation. And he required separation from Egypt, from this man Abram that he had chosen. He said, you got to get out of there. you got to get away from Egypt. So he, he separates himself from Egypt. And that's what we do. First come to Christ. We separate ourselves from known sin. We're supposed to do that, and uh, that's what he's doing here. So it becomes a really interesting, again, it's a parallel to the life that you and I li live even today. We read the Bible. We discover that God has a place for us and a plan for us and a purpose for us, and, and that he wants us to live a holy life, and he wants us to walk down a holy path. And so when we understand that, we have to separate those things in our lives that would draw us away from God and take us down a pathway of sin. So we need to separate ourselves. Maybe it's words or bad habits that hold us back from growing. We've got to separate ourselves from those things, those bad things that we used to do. We need to be like a runner, an Olympian, that, that, that takes off the, the outer garment. How do you run with a coat on? 
How do you run with, with a certain clothes on? So these runners, man, they get down to the little tidy tights and, and uh, small shoes and, and just a, a, a tank top or whatever, you know, and then they run. They can really run because they, they've taken all this stuff. They've separated themselves from all the weight. So the scripture says that you're to separate yourself from all those things. Look at this scripture, Hebrews 12, verse 1. Hebrews 12, verse 1, is that in there? There it is. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. And notice, and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Separation has to occur if you're going to grow in the Lord. You have to separate yourself from those things. You have to determine. You have to make a choice. You have to cut it off. That's really what Abraham had to do. He had to leave Egypt. He had to leave it all behind and come back to where God called him originally, to Canaan, because it was in Canaan that God promised to meet him. It was in Canaan that God promised to bless him. So he had to leave uh, Egypt. Number two, notice in verse three, it tells us that Abram's next step back to Canaan was to repent and to return. He repents and returns here, and he went on his journey, verse three, from the south as far as Bethel. So he, he leaves from Egypt, from the south, and he goes north. He's going north, and he goes past where Jerusalem is going to be established. He goes past that up to Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. And in verse 4, it says the place of the altar. So he's going back to this house of God, going back to the place where God originally called him. Doesn't that sound familiar? Who doesn't need revival? Who doesn't need to come back to the house of God, back to that place of, of revival? When Abram was in Egypt, there weren't any altars. When Abram was in Egypt, there was no mention of prayer. There was no mention of, of any spiritual life in the man at all when he was in Egypt. And so Abram now returns to the place where God had previously worked in his life. It's really important for us to remember that. You remember when you first were saved? Do you remember the church you went to and you just ate up God's word? You remember those people that poured into your life that really assisted and encouraged you to walk with the Lord? Now you've kind of backslidden a little bit and you're hanging around a crowd that doesn't honor the Lord as much and, and you're not going to a church that teaches the Bible and you just kind of get lame and lax and, and it, you want to get back to that place. God wants you to come back to that place. And that's exactly what Abram does. He, he repents and he returns. He returns to the place that God had, had done all that work in his life. And again, I love this because I believe that we all lose our way at times in our Christian walks. We lose our way. We, we don't walk the way we should because of all the distractions and all of the things going on around us and our families, important things, jobs. But we get distracted so easily. We need to get back to that place again. We need to turn around. That's really what he's doing. He's, he's leaving Egypt in the south, he's turning 180 degrees, he's repenting, he's going away from that and back to this place where he can be close to God. So he returns to that place that God had originally sent him there to Canaan, to Bethel, to the house of God. That's where he is at this place in time. Someone said this, the place where God can bless you most 
is the place where God places you. Think about that. We need to stay in the place that God places us. Go back to that place where God places you, where he's led you, and he'll give you those blessings that maybe you're missing out on. Truth is, if you feel distant even from God tonight, you just need to return to that place. And I'm not talking about across the country. If you were saved in New York, you don't have to go back to New York. But, but you can get back closer to the Lord. Get back to reading his word. Get back to that place of prayer. Get back to that place where you're around Christians and encouraged. Just return to that place where you first encountered him. And that's what Abraham does here. He actually goes to that local area, the house of, or he goes to Bethel there, the house of God. So he separates himself from Egypt. He repents and returns. And then thirdly, I love this, verse 4, he worships God. Look at, look at this, verse 4. He goes back to the place of the altar, which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. So he goes right to the altar. He goes right back to that place where he met God, where he heard God, where he worshiped God. Because he came from Ur of the Chaldees. They worshiped the moon. They worshiped the stars. They were astrological kind of in their worship. But now he came to Canaan where God sent him. And he builds this altar and he worships the true and living God. He's, he, he, he goes from the false to the true and he's excited about that. So now, he, he, then, he, then he forsook God, went to Egypt. Now he comes back and he goes right to that altar. And he, he worships the true and the living God. Again, it was an altar. He called on the name of the Lord. To call on the name of the Lord means to worship. He's worshiping the Lord. No doubt he's saying, God, forgive me for what I've done. Uh, forgive me for my not listening. Forgive me for leaving Canaan and going to Egypt. But he's calling on the name of the Lord. That means that you trust in God. You're not calling on your bank account. You're not calling on your accountant. You're not calling on anyone else, not even your pastor. You're calling on the name of the Lord. I love that truth. He goes back to the Lord, and he calls on his name. I trust you, Lord, again. I, I forgive me for all that I've done. He submits himself to God and God's plan for his life. So, what Abraham does, again, parallels what we should do. If we want to be close to the Lord or, or walking with the Lord, we need to be close to him. We need to get back to those things. We need to recommit ourselves to the Lord like Abram does here in this story. How does he do it? He does it through worship. I find that very interesting. He goes to an altar and he worships God. He calls on the name of the Lord like we did tonight when we worshiped the Lord together. We're calling on the name. We're extolling his attributes. We're worshiping the Lord together. We're giving him thanks and praise. So important for us to do that. And, and I believe that in committing your life to the Lord, and walking with the Lord. We do that each week. I love it Wednesday night. I, I recommit myself to the Lord. I love the Lord. I worship him. I, Sunday morning, I, I come back and I recommit myself to the Lord. I worship him. And we worship together. Worshiping God. Not only in the Old Testament, but the New Testament is a priority for the believer. You know the story. Jesus meets a woman at the well. He had to go through Samaria. Jews didn't go through Samaria. They went around the long way. But Jesus had to go through. He had a divine appointment. He was going to meet this woman for our benefit. He speaks to her. Men didn't really talk to women. 
in those days that they weren't introduced to. It wasn't right to do. But Jesus talks to this woman because she had a great need. She had really a great need. But it's very interesting as the story goes, you know, Jesus reveals to her that, that she isn't married and she's been with several men and, and she immediately changes the subject to worship. Well, how about worship, Lord? You know, like, how about them Cubs, I guess, not the Dodgers, they lost, but the Cubs. <laughs> Changing the subject a little bit. And then in John 4, notice this verse behind me on the screen, but the hour is coming, Jesus says to this woman, and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit, and in truth, notice this, that the Father seeks true worshipers. Are you a true worshiper? Do you love to worship God? Not, maybe not here. Maybe it's at home. But do you really love to worship God? Because the Father seeks. He looks for those that worship him in spirit and in truth. He seeks those. And then notice Jesus says at the very end there, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That word worship there, pros, conio, two words, pros, to turn, conio, to kiss. It's an intimate thing. God loves us to, to choose to worship him, to choose to show our affection to him. And we do that in an act of worship. We do it together. The writer of the Hebrews, again, let me show you on the screen, Hebrews 10.25, says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting each other so much the more as you see the day approaching. The more, the more evil this world gets, the more we should spend time together worshiping the Lord because worship unites us. Worship encourages us. Worship gets our focus and our attention on the Lord and his greatness and off the news. We need to get our minds off the news and onto the Lord. So Abram, he goes all the way back to Bethel from Egypt to the house of God. He returns to God through worship, through brokenness, through forgiveness to the, to the altar, and he calls upon the name of the Lord. He's seeking to do the right thing here. But notice that not only did Abram worship at the altar. I, I love this, and I, I've already mentioned it, but he calls on the name of the Lord. This is really, really important. He calls on the name of the Lord at the end of verse 4. That means he's, he's really done with Egypt, and he's turning to God here. He's going to trust the Lord. He's learning to trust the Lord. He's going to fail again. We're going to see that in his life, but he's learning to trust the Lord. And now the Lord is going to give him more responsibility, and he's going to fail with some of it, and God's going to chastise him, and he's going to learn and become greater in his faith each time, each time he goes through those, those things. But he's calling on the name of the Lord here. And I, I love what it says. If you look at verse 4, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. He had made there. This is the place where he experienced the Lord at first. And now he's going back there for renewal. Now he's going back there for revival. He's turning back to God. He's personally taking this, this initiative to get back to the Lord and to love the Lord with all his heart, mind, and soul. He, uh, that's what I love about God. God is so gracious and merciful. We don't deserve his mercy, but he gives it to us. And here's this man that rejects God, goes to Egypt, but God blesses him anyway, comes back, and he experiences what he once had as he goes back there. Moses tells us here, the writer of, of the book of Genesis, he says he made there at 
first. He, he started there. It reminds me of, of our first love, that first encounter with the Lord. Remember, it was Jesus. In the book of Revelation, chapter 2, he writes letters to these churches, great churches. When you read the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, Paul had established that church. It was so strong. It was a great church. They knew doctrine. They loved the Lord. There was a lot of conversions going on. It was a, a, a great church. And it spread throughout that whole area of what's known as, as um, uh, it'd be the southwestern section of what's known as Turkey today. Massive church, growing church there. But, but that church, after a few years, it, they lost their love for God. They lost their first love for the Lord. And so the Lord is calling him back. And Abram is now responding and he's experiencing this renewal and he's going to get back to his first love. But I wanted you to turn in your Bible to Revelation 2. I just want to read this with you. Revelation chapter 2, easy to find way in the back of your Bible. I just want to make this application tonight. I think it's really important because we're seeing this man, Abram, and he's going back to the Lord, back to his first love. And it reminded me so of Revelation 2 where, where Jesus writes a letter to the church of Ephesus. And notice what he says, Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they're apostles and are not. And you found them liars. Notice that. The, the works they were doing. They were loving people. The labor they did for the Lord. They, street, they did street witnessing. They did all kinds of outreach. They, they were re the real deal as far as Christians are concerned. They had patience. And they, they knew truth from error. They, they knew those that were evil. And they called them out. And they corrected them. You've tested those who say they're apostles and are not. You found them to be liars. That's good for you. That's the Lord saying that's really good. And you preserved and have patience and you've labored for my name's sake and you have not become weary. And those are all commendations. He's, he's really con, uh, commending this, this church. And then notice in verse 4. I'll put it on the screen just for emphasis. But verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Again, our lives parallel Abram, this great man of faith. The question tonight, and for me in my study today, is have I left my first love? Do I still love the Lord with vigor? Do I still love him with all my heart? Do I, do I still love the Lord, or did you, do I just love ministry? Do I just love my job? Do I just love my comforts? Or is it the Lord that I really, really love? Because this, this church was right on. They were doing everything right until you came for their love for Jesus because they, 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 they left their real love for Jesus Christ. That's why we're studying 1 John, by the way, on Sunday morning. We need to get back to look and see Jesus. We need to see him. We need to look deeply into his face and see what he did. That's why we're doing 1 John on Sunday morning. But notice here, Jesus tells them this threefold way to get back to their first love. Notice he says, remember, therefore, from where you've fallen. 
Repent. And then the third thing is, do the first works. And then the warning, if you don't do it, I'm going to come quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. These are sobering words for you and I, but this threefold remedy for restoration. Remember, I love it, remember where you've fallen. Remember the things that you used to do that please the Lord, your service for God. Remember that you used to love the Lord, you used to love worship, and you used to love reading my word and, and our time together. You and the Lord, your time together was so precious, but, but you haven't done that for a long time. You haven't told the Lord how much you love him and how grateful you are. You, you just go to church and you're just kind of religious. You're in Egypt, just like Abram. And then number two, number two here, repent. Remember and then repent. Turn away from those things. Turn away. And then number three, I love this. I use the R, redo. Redo. He says, do thy first works. Redo. Just start doing those things that you did when you first got saved. Start doing those things. The, the, the Bible study, the people you met, the, the reading time in the morning or evening, this fellowship, the worship. Just start redoing those things again. That's how you return to your first love. Do your first work. And that's what Abram's doing here in Genesis chapter 13. That's exactly what he's doing. He's gone from Egypt, lies, running from God, to going directly north, straight to Bethel, to where the altar was, and he calls on the name of the Lord. He's redoing his first work. He's got his tail between his legs, and he comes running out of Egypt, being, reject, re, being rebuked by a pharaoh, by a godless man. And he knows he's wrong. I love that. I love the story. I love the parallel. I love what it teaches and what we learn in this story in Genesis 13 is what needs to take place in our very lives. We need to get out of Egypt. I, I don't know what your Egypt is. I think for each one of you, it's different. But I think that we find ourselves in Egypt. What are we doing here? I lied. I got to this place, and what am I doing here? And we need to get back to that place, back to Bethel, back to the altar, back to the place of worship. If you're in Egypt tonight. You can get back. It's easy. You just need to repent. You need to ask the Lord to forgive you. And as you do that, God is going to forgive you and he'll restore you. And you'll have that, that intimate worship and that joy that comes from just, oh Lord, I know you love me and I love you. And Lord, should I do this or should I go there? And what's your word say, Lord? Oh, I thank you for giving me that direction. I, I won't go there, Lord. I'll, I'll stay on this path. I believe that that's what this story is teaching us. So if you find yourself in Egypt, like Abram tonight, you need to do what he did. Number one, he separated himself. We can go back to my points. He separated himself from Egypt. And then he repented and returned. And then he began to worship the Lord again. These are all really, really important. And then he called upon the name of the Lord. So I, I don't know where any of you are at spiritually. Maybe you're just vibrant and you love the Lord and everything's good. That's, that's a great place to be. But there could be some of us here that really need to hear this message. And we really need to understand that, that we need to get back to Bethel. 
We need to get back to that place and worship the Lord. And so tonight we've got a, a little bit of time. We're going to worship. We're going to ask God's forgiveness. We're going to drop the lights in the sanctuary. The worship team's going to come up and lead us in a kind of a slow song to begin with. And this is a great opportunity for you to just get right with the Lord. You don't do that publicly. You don't have to jump up and confess anything. But, but right there where you sit, with your eyes closed, with your head bowed, let's do that right now. Let's, let's just bow our heads and close our eyes and drop the lights. And, and Lord, we just pray that you would, would bring us back to that first love. That we would run away from Egypt like Abram does. And we'd run right back to Bethel. Right back to the, the house of the Lord. Right back to that altar of worship where we can, once again, we sit before you intimately. Just me and, and you, Lord. And, and I just call out your name. And I thank you for forgiveness. And, and I, I worship you because you're such a great and awesome God. And you've forgiven my sin. And I'm so thankful. I pray, Lord, that each person here tonight would find themselves in that very place. Back at Bethel. Back at the altar. Calling on the name of the Lord. Oh, Father, restore our hearts. Revive our hearts to love you. Revive our hearts, Lord, to first encounter the first love, the love for Jesus Christ with all our heart, mind, and soul. Just revive us, we pray. Just ask God that you would just do that work in our hearts. Just Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. We give you free reign for this moment to, to just work in our hearts and bring that conviction you convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, but we, we belong to Jesus. And we ask God that you would reveal in us, if there's anything wicked, anything evil, any area of Egypt in our lives, reveal that to us even now so that we might ask your forgiveness. We just come to, your, to the cross tonight, Lord Jesus. We want to lay our burden down. We want to look up and gaze into your beautiful face. We so desire to be restored, to be renewed. Do a work that only you can do, Lord, as we pray tonight.